And we're going to continue with 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. And um, last time we, we stopped um, with the lesson on the will of God. The will of God. And now we find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. So we're just going to read to recap verse 1 to 3 again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 1 says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For we know what command, for you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. And last week we looked a bit into verse, or last time we looked a bit into verse 3, which says, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, and that you should abstain from fornication. So we looked at sexual sin, this, this fornication, and we also looked at the will of God. And we saw that this, these people in Thessalonica had a really distorted view of sexuality, had, were living in incredible sexually immoral sins. And um, we saw that essentially sex had become a god to these people. That, that it, be, it had not just become a god, it had become a form of worship. You would be able to go to a temple and in a way worship a god through a temple harlot. And so this was common in the Greek and Roman culture of that day and Paul calls these Thessalonians to be separate, that is to be sanctified, to be set apart from these people, and to exercise abstinence from this sin, regardless of what the culture is doing, or regardless of what the culture is saying. And the lesson we took from this is that culture should never be your measuring stick for morality. Culture can never be your measuring stick for morality. And then we dove a bit into the will of God, and um, we looked at speci <clears throat> specifically the revealed will of God. Because this is the one Christians should mainly be concerning themselves with. Is that what has God already told me in His Word? What is that that I can apply in my life? And by doing this, you remove a lot of the mysticism surrounding the idea of God's will. And so, we looked at His will being that you be saved, that you be sanctified, that you be spirit-filled that you suffer in service and that you say thanks. And um, those are things that God, have, God has revealed to us. And we finished off the lesson by Psalm 37 verse 4, which says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thy heart. And so essentially what that brings everything together is to say if someone who is saved and sanctified and spirit-filled and suffering for God's sake and also... Um, saying thanks and living a life of thankfulness, that person, if that person's heart is um, turned towards God in such a manner that that person will get the desires of God or God's desires and His desires will start lining up. And so that is the key to the will of God is your desires lining up with God's desires or God's will for your life. And so now we read further from verse 4. We'll read to verse 7. It says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is an avenger of all such, 
as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. And so, what Paul is saying in verse 3, as I said, is culture may say and do one thing, but you are not ignorant of God's will. Okay, so culture is going this way. Culture is fornicating. Culture is following sin. Culture is living a, go- a life without hope, without God. And so he's saying that you are not ignorant as those people, not knowing the will of God. And so in verse 4 he says, basically, he gets practical about what is sanctification. How do you apply sanctification in your everyday life? What does this mean to be, be sanctified? And so he gets practical in verse Um, in verse 4 onward. But the first thing that I want to point out to you is that, or what I want to go through today is a few sanctification tips from this text. A few things that Paul writes to these people and say, how can you apply, or what can you apply in your life that would help you to grow in your sanctification? And so the first thing that Paul does is in in verse 3, and that is to tell you that it pleases God or that it is God's will for you to be sanctified. And that's important to note because if the, before you can start pleasing someone, you need to know what pleases them. You can accidentally please them, I guess, but it really helps you to, to be focused in your, um, the way you treat someone. If your desire is to please them, you know what pleases them, and therefore you can align yourself and do that thing that pleases them. So the first tip, which is actually already covered in last week, I want to say is that your first sanctification tip is to know that, that doing or being sanctified Becoming more like Christ is something that pleases God. It is God's will for your life. And now we get into verse 4. And the second sanctification tip that I want to say is you need to learn to control your body. You need to learn to control your body. In verse 4 it says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. You need to know how to possess your vessel. You need to know how to possess your body. You can open to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now this word, possess, this word possess means, in a way, to master or to control. So Paul is telling these people, you need to know how to master or know how to control your body. In um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12, we read it just now. It says, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. That is, if you are being mastered by your flesh, you are brought under its power. And so what Paul is saying in 1 Thessalonians 4, he's saying you need to possess your vessel in sanctification. It means you need to master and control. You need, to, you need to not be brought under the power of anything outside of what God wants you to be brought under that power. And it's actually speaking about fornication. You see that in verse 13. And then in verse 15 it says that, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of of a harlot. God forbid. So on this topic of fornication, on this topic of sanctification, he says, you are now the members of this body of Christ. You have been taken out of this world. You are not like the Gentiles. How can you go and attach yourself to a harlot? How can you go and 
cling to the sin that you are saved from. And that is what your body will want to do. Your body will want to do it. Your flesh, your desires, the lusts of your flesh, that is what it will want to do. And so that's why the first thing is you need to learn to control or to master your body. Have a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 26. It says, Therefore so run. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body, and I bring it into subjection. Lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And so Paul is saying here that if I don't do this, if I don't control or learn to master, or as it says here, keep under my body or bring it into subjection, I might become a slave again. I might become mastered or controlled by my sin and be cast away for that sake. So, you need to learn to control your body. And what, I, what he says in verse 26 is actually quite applicable to this. In verse 26, he says he's not like one who beats the air. He's not aimless. He's not futile in his pursuit of sanctification. He's saying, I am going to set the goal in front of me, and I know that this is where my body stumbles, or this is where I fall to sin. And so he says, I'm going to hit that thing. I'm not just going to say, I want to be sanctified and just hit that thing in the air. You say, you need to be driven. You need to, be, you need to have a goal and say, this is how I'm going to bring my body into subjection. Then secondly, in, 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 um, in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 4, um, you need to possess, you need to know, the word know, you need to know how to possess your vessel. So it's not something that just randomly comes to you, it's something you need to know. So you need to have enough knowledge so that you are skilled in gaining mastery over your own vessel. You need to have, have enough knowledge to know how to gain mastery over your own vessel. So what is it you need to know? Romans chapter 6. The first thing you need to know. is that you will be tempted to sin. First thing you need to know is that you will be tempted to sin. But, Paul says in Romans 6 verse 12, let not sin therefore reign. Okay? So it means there will be sin, but don't let it reign in your mortal body. That you should obey it and the lusts thereof. So you will have sinful lusts. All right? But that temptation is not the sin. It is the yielding to it. And that's why it says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So the first thing that you need to know in terms in order to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor is that you will be tempted, but you need to have this resolve. You need to know you're going to struggle. You're going to, but I will not let it reign. And then it also says in verse 14, I will not let it have dominion over me, right? And so that is what you need to apply in your life. Then secondly, what else do you need to know? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, how that 
We will not be brought under the power of any of these things. But the second thing that I think you need to know is verse 18 to 20 in controlling your body. Verse 18 says, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The second thing you need to know if you want to control your body is you belong to God. And you are precious to Him. You need to know that you are bought with a price. You are not your own. You belong to God. You see, the question we need to ask ourselves is, we know that, but do we think that? Do you think in the way of saying, I am not my own, I have been bought with a price, I belong to God, and everything I am belongs to God, and I want to obey my King? Is that the way you think? Because you see, as soon as you start thinking that way, your body no longer plays such an important role. Because it belongs to God. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, it actually says, at the end of verse 13, it says, um, but for the Lord, your body is for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And so there is your, you giving your body to God, and God taking care of your body. And those two working together, and so realize that you are not your own, and you are bought with a price. And I think that is the second thing you need to know if you want to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. And remember that you're of great value to God. And then thirdly, 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, But such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And so the third thing you need to know is that the Spirit lives in you and He is the driving force of your sanctification. The Spirit of God is the driving force of your sanctification. You know, Paul asks the Galatians and he says, Are you so ignorant? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? So do you think that you can, through your flesh, now make yourself right or holy or better with God? It is through His Spirit working in you and that leading to change in your life. So the Spirit is the fuel to the fire. That's why we hear about quench not the Spirit, right? It's the fuel to your fire. It is a thing that keeps you burning. It burns away the rubbish in your life. It's the thing that keeps you burning. And the question you need to ask yourself, are you yielding to the Spirit's work in your life? Or that fuel that's flowing in that pipeline, are you throttling that valve of that flow? So how much are you yielded to His guidance daily? How much are you yielded to the Spirit's guidance daily? And a very practical way, and we've gone through this in First Thessalonians actually, is that the idea that to be Spirit-filled is to be Word-filled. And so how much of your life is devoted to God's Word? Not just in sitting and reading it. Yes, definitely, sit and read it. God's Word has an amazing ability to speak to you and to change you and to point things out in your life so you can't go without that. But how much of that do you take with you into your day? How much of it do you take with you into your day? 
And this is, this is why Paul writes things that are practical. Because it's like, it doesn't help it's just this idea. But it needs to lead to action. And that's why to be spiritful is to be wordful. We know that through inspiration of the word is from the spirit. We know that in 1 Corinthians 2 that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And so you can't understand the word without the spirit. We need, you know, many occasions where the spirit and the word are um, paralleled against each other. So now that Paul has dealt with the how, so how do you possess your vessel in sanctification honor, he deals with the why. So first, let's get back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4. So now Paul deals with the why do you want to control your body? Why should you want to control your body? And so it says at the end of verse 4, because you want to have a vessel that is sanctified, and honorable to God. This word honor means, is a, it's a term of respect. It's a, it's a term of high esteem or of something valued. So if you esteem God highly, if you value God much, right? That's essentially what it is to honor God. So if that's what it means, then the way you conduct your body is a reflection of what you think of God. The way you conduct your body is a reflection of what you think of God. And when I realized that, it, it, really, it really hit me, you know. If, if you're acting in a certain way, if you're sinning, it is because you are not honoring God. It's because you're not viewing God in the light that He is. You are for that moment saying, I'm not going to look at God. I'm not going to acknowledge God. And I'm going to do what I want to do. And so essentially, the way you conduct your body is a reflection of what you think of God. If you respect, value, and esteem Him highly, you will be possessing your body in sanctification and in honor. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, just turn there a few pages to the right. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And verse 21. It's talking about sanctification. Here it says, 2 Timothy 2.21, If a man therefore purge himself from these. So that is to set yourself apart, to separate yourself. Okay? If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. You see there, your vessel and honor and everything being brought together in this verse, sanctified, and then what? Meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. So he's calling them to be separate. He says, purge yourself. If a man purge himself, then he says his body will be honoring unto God. And then what is the purpose of that? That you can be ready and greatly used of God. And I think any Christian's desire is to is to be used of God in the way that God wants them to use them. And that happens in this process of you learning to possess your body in sanctification and honor, yielding yourself to the work of the Spirit, letting that, that, fuel, letting that Spirit fuel your fire. And so the first, could I say, step or the first tip of the sanctification is that you need to know how to control. You need to know how to possess your body. And this end product will allow God to use you greatly, as we saw in this verse.
Now the second, or sorry, the third sanctification tip is don't act like the world. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 5. So we know that the first tip is, you know that it is God's will. It pleases Him. The second one is, you need to um, oh, no, let my, control your body. I'm already on the next point. Control your body. And now you need to don't, not act like the word. Verse 5 says, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. So, have a look at Romans chapter 12. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles. So he's comparing them to the Gentiles. And that's why I say, don't act like the world. Don't act like the Gentiles. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, a very familiar verse says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. But it says, do not be conformed to this world. So the question we need to ask ourselves is when people look from the world, if they look from the world side and they look at you, do they consider you to just be going with the flow? Or is there something different about you and your desires? Is there something different about you and your desires? Or have your desires and the way you act just conform to the world? You know, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 5, that even as the Gentiles. So don't be like the Gentiles. Um, and here he says, do not be conformed. In John 15, verse 19, Jesus says, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But ye are not of the world. But I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. There needs to be something that separates you from the world, just like Jesus was separated from the world. Not that he didn't move amongst them. Not that when he wore clothing that just made him look weird or something. That was not it. But he wasn't a part of what the world was doing. He wasn't desiring. He wasn't thinking what the world was thinking. Now to what specifically should we not be conformed? Now in Romans 12 too, it says the world. But in our text it says the lust of concupiscence. The lust of concupiscence. Now this word concupiscence means a passion of inordinate or forbidden desire. Now we know from the context it's speaking sexually. This inordinate desire for sexual pleasures, right? And so he says you shouldn't have that. But this word also means an irregular appetite for worldly good. An irregular appetite for worldly good. So, do you look like the world? Do you talk like the world? Do you desire what the world desires? Because a Christian... What you need to ask yourself is, do I have an irregular appetite for worldly good? Do I have an appetite that is the same as the world has for the things of the world? You need to be separate from. You need to not act in that way like the world. Paul is telling these people that they need to live contrary to the Gentiles, which he often refers to in his letters where he says something, which you once were. So he's saying, you were there, you came from there, God saved you from there. And so he said, you once were, but come out from them. 
And Paul says something similar in Colossians. So have a look at Colossians chapter 3. A few pages to the left. If you're in Thessalonians, sorry. Colossians chapter 3. Listen to the language that Paul uses here. He says, if you then, verse 1, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God and set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. So the first thing is that if to, to not be like the Word, you need to have a different focus point. Okay? Your focus point can't be everything around you. You need to look up and you need to say, God, what is it I must do? What is it you want me to do? So you set your affection. And then your affections will start changing the more you, in God's Word, the more you look to Him. Now, in Colossians chapter um, 3, verse 5, it says, Mortify, therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, unordinate affection, evil concupiscence, there's that word again, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So you're essentially, by serving these things, by living in these things, you are serving another God. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience. Now listen to the language here. In the which you, ye also walked, past tense, sometime, when you lived in them, past tense. Have a look at verse 10. And you have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge of after the image of Him that created Him. So you walked, you lived, but now there's a new man. And so that is that transition that happens, that separates you, that makes you not look like the world. But then in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, be not be, Do not be conformed to this world, but then it says, But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So something else needs to happen. And that is the way you think needs to change. Your renewing of your mind. Remember, these people were surrounded by a culture in which it was not only okay to commit certain heinous sins, it was the norm. It was promoted. And it was often religiously promoted. They were in a society where not even this, like we are in a society where certain sexual conduct would be frowned upon. Because we're built on a Christian foundation to a large extent. But they were living in a society where Christianity had not reached it. And they were living in a society where these people were living in it as if it is going to the grocery store. As if it is, I'm going to go worship in this act. It was so common to these people. And if that is the, the, the surroundings in which you come from, you really need to change the way you think. And I think what we often as Christians find ourselves is, we gauge ourselves, right, by the standard of the world. And so we say we are better than the world. But that's not truly the standard, right? Your mind needs to change. We need to change and say culture, right? It should never be a Christian's measuring stick for morality. Paul says, come out from that. It doesn't matter what culture says is okay. Concern yourself with what God says is okay. And so this is the change that Paul is trying to create in these people's minds, is to say, look to God. Look what God wants you to do. You belong to Him. Remember, He bought you with a price. 
And therefore, the world is no longer your standard. Renew your mind and think differently. And that's exactly what David said when he sinned with Bathsheba. In Psalm 51 verse, one, verse 4, he says, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And then he goes on to ask the Lord, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Renew a right spirit within me. David realized this sin for what it is. He didn't try and sugarcoat it by saying, but society is doing it or it's okay in society. He said, God said it and only against God have I sinned. And now he says, God, renew in me. Change my mind. Renew in my heart something that wants to serve you. And this comes through the Spirit. In Titus 3 verse 5, I'll read it to you. Titus 3 verse 5 says, Not by the works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. By the washing of regeneration, and then it says, and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. The renewing of the Holy Ghost. You need to, once again, this, even this second tip finishes with the renewing of the Spirit. The Spirit in your life is key to you not looking like the world. The Spirit of God dwelling in you and you yielding to His work in your life is key to you not looking and living like the world. And like we said, Spirit-filled, Word-filled is directly related. So the first tip, know that it pleases God, your sanctification. The second tip, learn to control your body. And now the third tip is don't act like the world. And the last one, let's get back to our text in verse 6. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 6. I want to call this one, seek the best for others. Seek the best for others. And to be honest with you, when I, I, I read that and I thought to myself, I did not expect that truly to be part of sanctification, to be honest. But I think it actually paints a beautiful picture. So, in verse 6 it says, That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. So he says, do not defraud. That means to take advantage or to make selfish gain to the detriment of a brother. So, to take advantage or make selfish gain to the detriment of a brother. Have a look at Proverbs chapter 6. Now, if you're familiar with Proverbs chapter 6, one of the, I want to say, most familiar parts of it is the, the, things, the things that God hates. So, Proverbs chapter 6. And verse 19. So in verse 16 he says, These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. Then he mentions a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and a heart that devises wicked, ima wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief. Then it says, verse 19, A false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. You see, taking advantage, defrauding your brother, or pursuing selfish gain to the detriment of your brother will look like verse 19. 
someone who defrauds his brother, someone who doesn't care or takes advantage of his brother, will be, where, will be bearing false witness, speaking lies, and he sows discord. And so that's something that God hates. God hates this kind of behavior. And so that's why I say, rather seek what is best for your brother. I will look at First Thessalonians. Go back at First Thessalonians chapter 4. And we see here that if you remember from, I think it was, uh, it couldn't have been last week, a few weeks ago, we looked at how brotherly love and holiness are related. And how that if you pursue brotherly love, in that pursuit, you are pursuing holiness. And um, we saw that in um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12. It says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another, and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end. So what is the purpose of the end of this? That, you may, that He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. So what is the end of this? this love that you're supposed to show the brethren and not just the brethren, but all those around you, is to the end, holiness. So a practical pursuit of holiness is brotherly love. And this is what Paul calls these Thessalonians to do here in chapter 4, verse 6, when he says, do not defraud your brother. But then he says, because you have not been called to uncleanness, but unto holiness. So, that lesson on brotherly love concluded with Romans 13, verse 10. It says, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Holiness, conforming to the law, is at, the, is at the, its root found in love. Because love doesn't work ill to his neighbor. And if you do not work ill to your neighbor, you are in essence acting in a way of love towards your neighbor. And that is the fulfilling of the law. And so, on this subject of seeking, what is, of seeking what's best for your brother, um, I want to read a few verses to you, but you can open to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. But in Philippians chapter 2, you're familiar with this, it says, Philippians 2, 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than themselves. Let each esteem the other better than themselves. And then it goes on to say, Look not every man to his own things, but every man also on the things of others. See how the way you treat your brother, the way you seek the best for others, is part of your sanctification. And then in Ephesians 4 verse 2, I'll read it to you. It says, With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, Forbearing one another in love. Forbearing one another in love. Now in Romans 12 and verse 10, you can read with me, it says, Be kindly affectioned one to another, with brotherly love, in honor prefer preferring one another. Paul emphasizing, emphasizes putting others above ourselves. When you are consistently more concerned with others' needs and their spiritual growth, it is really difficult to sin. When you are constantly concerned about others and their needs and you are focusing on them, it is difficult 
to sin. That is why seeking the best for others is part of our sanctification. Now, we've looked at the side of not being the person who is defrauding the brother. But what if you are the person who is defrauded or treated illy by someone else? What are you to do about that? Well, the first thing I want to say is, if you are going to respond in revenge and defraud them back, you are guilty of exactly the same thing that that person did towards you. Okay? That is an obvious statement. But in Romans 12, just further, after he said what, it, what we read in um, um, verse 10, that you should be kindly affectioned one to another and be preferring one another, it goes on in, um, in verse 16. It says, Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but, conde- but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceit. Recompense to no man evil for evil. So do not defraud your brother if he defrauded you. Right? Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Now if you flip back to our text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 6, the second half of verse 6, which we haven't focused on yet, says something similar. 1 Thessalonians 4.6 also says, similar to what Romans 12 says, in avenge not yourselves. And here it says in verse 6, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is an avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. Do not take revenge, but rather seek for peace. So step one, when you have been defrauded, forgive. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 says, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. The second step is to leave it in God's hands. To leave it in God's hands. It says, avenge not yourselves in Romans 12. Because if you avenge yourself, you make yourself guilty of exactly the same thing that you were wronged by. And as we just read in our, in our text in 1 Thessalonians 4, if you have been defrauded, do not take vengeance, leave it to God. And when you leave it to God, it's not that type, because you know a lot of people can leave it to God, but actually not leave it to God. They say, you know what? I'll leave it to God. God will deal with you. Like, is that what is being said here? Is that part of forgiving your brother? That's not what it is, right? What you're saying is, is, I have been forgiven of so much wrong that I have done that God could hold against me. And so how can I, if I've been shown that mercy, that grace, how can I not extend that grace that has been extended to me, to someone else? It doesn't mean you have to befriend that person and have to be best friends. It says live peaceably. And so that is what we are called to. We leave it to God and you say, you know what, Lord, if this person does not want to 
fix what is going on here. I can't do anything more than what you can do in that person's heart. And you trust God, but from your side you forgive and you try to live peaceably. This is an act of love. It shouldn't be an arrogant or proud act where you leave someone supposedly to God. Because at the end your goal is to win that brother back. Is to extend love to that person. So, in closing, sanctification tip one. Know that a sanctifying life pleases God. Secondly, you need to learn how to control your body. And we looked at a few things there, what you need to know. Then also, don't act like the world. Come out from among them, as Paul also writes in 2 Corinthians 6. And then in the fourth tip is seek the best for others. Seek the best for others. So I pray that these things will give you some practical ways in which you can please the Lord and um, live a life and grow in, in sanctification and honor to Him. Father, we thank You for this lesson. We thank You, for, Father, for just how practical and how good it is, Lord, and that Your Word speaks so um, clearly and so directly to the issues we face and the, the things we have to deal with in everyday life. And Lord, we ask that you please help us to live a life that is in sanctification and honor to you. Um, that we would master or control our bodies in such a way that, that um, pleases you, Lord. Um, and we thank you that your spirit dwells in us and gives us that strength. Thank you, Lord, that you have bought us with a price and that we belong to you and May we, through that mindset, may we think on that and truly live a life surrendered to you, um, yielded to the work of your Spirit in our lives. Pray this, Lord, and we ask that you please also bless this time of fellowship and also bless the service to come for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.